There are a lot of things that could blow our witness. What we say, what we do, and even who we hang out with. The one thing in particular that we have to keep in check is arrogance. Not thinking that we're better or smarter than others. But how do we exactly do that? That's exactly what we're going to be exploring on today's podcast. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Hemmen is with you as always. Blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is podcast 238. We are now transitioning into chapter 8 in our study. Now, where we left things off is if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we talked about several things and there was like a four-part series in chapter 7 alone. We talked about advice for married and single people. We talked about what are biblical reasons for divorce in verses 10 through 16. Then we talked about who you are meant to be in verses 17 through 24. And we ended that chapter in looking at what Paul talks about and how we can serve God in marriage or even in singleness. And that was very important. So whatever you find yourself, whatever that status has to say you find yourself in, whether you're married, single, whatever, God has a plan for your life. And we have to remember that. We can't think that people who are married are better off than people who are single and people who are single are better off than being married. Clearly, if you're married and you feel that, that's a problem. But there are a lot of single people, obviously, that wish they could be in a relationship that is God-honoring. And that's what they're praying for. And so if you find yourself in that um, situation and you're, you have these feelings or you are divorced and you don't think that there were biblical grounds or you do believe there are biblical grounds, I encourage you guys take a listen to that particular passage of scripture, those those episodes. And wherever you guys get your podcasts, I encourage you guys to let us know the impact this is having on you. Leave us a review. Help grow uh, the, the platform that we can reach more people with God's word to get grounded in God's word. One of the missions that we have and as we equip people to defend the Christian faith, they have to know the word of God. And that's why for years we've been doing this podcast and we don't throw a ton of marketing behind it. We just put it out there. And in my travels, in my conversations, I let people know, hey, you want to study the Bible verse by verse? Go to standstrongministries.org, click on Stand Strong in the Word podcast and subscribe and make sure that you guys leave us a review. It's that simple. And we want you guys to share, obviously, these episodes and let us know what we can do to pray for you. And if you have any questions on any of these passages, you can always reach out to our ministry at info at standstrongministries.org. So let's now dive into this new uh, passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where today we're going to be talking about not allowing arrogance to compromise your witness. So we pick things up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. I'll read verses 1 through 6. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. 
For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. So right off the bat, there's a lot of confusion with this particular passage. And let me just put the, the, the primary one up front here. And it has to do with the Mormons. They use verse six here of what Paul is talking about when he says that there are many lords in this context of scripture. And they say, oh, see, there's many gods and many lords. And we believe that we are in the process of becoming our own God of our own planet someday. And we will repopulate our planets. That is not what he's saying. So that's one big concern that we're going to be looking at in verses five and six today. Also, when people are referring to food that are offered to idols, what exactly is Paul talking about? Why is this significant? Do we need to use this when it comes to other types of foods in our lives that are not healthy? Is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about a diet here? So these are different perspectives that people have when it comes to this particular passage. So the first thing we always have to do is understand the context. Paul obviously remembers writing 1 Corinthians because he is engaging with the Corinthians and they had submitted to him a lot of questions that they had. And so he's moving them along and taking them one by one. We just saw in chapter seven, very heavily, he was dealing with a lot of complex issues related to not only their marriage status or their singleness, their social status, but also what gives credence for someone to receive a certificate of divorce or not. And so he was dealing with those particulars within the church. Now he's addressing an issue that they're having when it comes to food and specifically food that is offered to idols. So in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul navigates another complex and sensitive issue. So that's what he's dealing with in Corinth. Remember, these are very intellectual people. We know for the Greeks with philosophy. So there's a lot of open debate and Paul was able to handle this. We know that he's a very trained individual and he's capable of dealing with these things with the guidance and direction and the feeling of the Holy Spirit. And so the sensitive issue had to deal with eating meat offered to idols. And this was prevalent because again, this was a prevalent issue in a polytheistic society like Corinth, which again, in context, is why he's referring to God's lowercase g, referring to idols. He refers to Lord's capital or lowercase l. And so in this polytheistic society of Corinth, at the core of this argument, Paul is going to reflect the tension that is between someone's personal liberty that they have in Christ and their communal responsibility. So this is key to our passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There's personal liberty and there's also the communal responsibility, meaning how do we live out the liberty, the freedom that we have in Christ to others and before others? Now, debating whether the Christian understanding of liberty surpasses the traditional social norms is one thing. But chapter 8 boils down to three concerns. Number one, the threat to freedom in Christ. Number two, causing a fellow brother or sister to stumble and number three, leading someone to actual sin. So the first thing we're going to be looking at in this passage is the threat to freedom in Christ. And what we have to understand is 
as we learn and grow in our faith, you don't want to see an increase in pride, in arrogance. Now, in my profession, the sad reality is there are a lot of people who have gone to school, they have a lot of degrees, they've written a lot of books, they read or they lead a lot of organizations or big churches, and there's a tendency to be very arrogant, to be above the average person because most of the people that you're around listen to what you have to say and you do very listening in return. And so arrogance can completely take over if you let it. And so that's the concern right now when we're dealing with this 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 issue of, of meat that's offered to idols, when it comes to the threat to freedom in Christ, you can take advantage or you can abuse your freedom that you have in Christ and think, well, I'm so-and-so. I do all the stuff for the Lord. Or people know me for this book or to uh, you know they know me for running this ministry or being in this movie or whatever the case may be or you know doing this podcast. And that's all well and good. But that's not your identity. You didn't do those type of things on your own. This is through the help of the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And so there are people who are abusing and they're becoming very arrogant. That's why he's talking about loving or knowledge puffing up, yet love builds up. So there's a lot of confusion among the Corinthians over this. And there's a lot of arrogant Christians who are doing things and abusing their liberty in the process. Or yes, they may be able to do it based on their personal liberty they have in Christ, meaning it doesn't cause them to stumble. They're not actually sinning, but they're arrogant in the fact that they're not being considerate in the communal responsibility of people who are weaker in the faith or not as intelligent. They may not know as much as they know, and they're causing them to stumble. And then eventually leading many people to actual sin. And we all have to, to, to check our own life and say, how am I using the freedom I have in Christ to advance the gospel, to honor the Lord and to love people and to be a witness? And that's why we can't allow arrogance to compromise our witness. So having said all that, when we know that in the proper context, and now when he says, now concerning food offered to idols. So what Paul now does is he transitions his attention okay, into a new issue, another complex sensitive issue. And it has to do with lifestyle choices of the Corinthians and specifically pertaining to food that's sacrificed to idols that were linked or in participation in pagan banquets. So he's actually going to take this thing all the way into chapter 11, verse 1. So even though there's specific language that we're going to be seeing in chapter 8, this whole argument is going to be pushed into chapter 11, verse 1, and it has to do with being a witness, Okay. Now, at this time of Paul's writing, many Jews would participate in the public sharing of meat. Now, the problem, however, was that much of the meat sold at the market was leftovers of a temple sacrifice or a carcass that was offered to a god or goddess at the opening of a banquet. So to counter this, what happened was that many Jews living as you know in the diaspora in Corinth, they established their own meat markets because they have the Torah to observe. And they wanted to avoid eating meat that was offered to idols. They're monotheistic. They're not polytheistic. So that would be wrong and that would defile them according to their law. But another problem arose. And that was Christians, people who are Corinthians, but became Christians. They were converted to Christianity from paganism. Many of them, though knowing that 
the meat they're eating was offered to idols that they once worshipped, but no longer because they worship Jesus Christ as their Lord. However, many of them were still in a in a way participating uh, in the temple by dining at the halls and celebrating, whether it be a feast, a celebration, a wedding, and they would participate in the eating of these animals, this meat that was sacrificed to false deities. Well, the other thing that was that was a problem was that oftentimes in these feasts, prior to, they would do the sacrificing and they would honor and identify certain deities. And so that is the setting. So we know that, they, again, they all range in different contexts. Not in every instance do you have the actual things unfolding each and every time. But to the degree of seeing a Christian man or woman who renounced paganism, confessed their sins, accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, and then seeing them back at a temple hall and a dining hall connected to the temple that exists in honoring a false god, that was an issue. So when Paul's expressing this, all of us possess knowledge, what he's addressing here is something that was common to the Corinthians. Again, they boasted about the knowledge that their culture had, okay, about their intellect. And so that's why he's saying, hey guys, listen, knowledge puffs up. So just because you know these things and you can refute them, you got to take that knowledge and use love to be responsible. The Greek word here for knowledge is the classic common term gnosis, where we get the Gnostic, you know, like, that that type of ter- terminology and and the intimation here is 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 regarding a pride though it's the knowledge of pride it's pointing out this arrogance and this is a reoccurring thing that paul has been talking to the corinthians in chapter 4 verse 6 chapter 4 verse 18 chapter 4 verse 19 and chapter 5 verse 2 and now here in first corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 now as opposed to belittling those who lack knowledge, what Paul does is he rebukes the arrogant Christians for not using their knowledge to train up the less intelligent. And that's true for you and me. Knowledge puffs up. If you don't use the knowledge you have to help others or use the knowledge you have to make wise decisions that are concerned for people around you, that's what matters. And these are the things that we have to consider when it comes to the type of growth that is taking place in our life. It's not just this academic knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. But notice he says love builds up. So knowledge puffs up without love. And we go to First Corinthians chapter 13. He's going to explore even more in greater detail. And of all these great things, yet without love, it's nothing. It's pointless. So love builds up. The Greek word here is oikodomeo, which means building or constructing a house. See, that's what love does. That's wisdom. The true use of knowledge is exercised in love that encourages and builds one another up in the faith. So when now when he says, if anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So the Corinthians lack a proper knowledge and understanding of loving God. And that was very evident. Meaning if you truly love God, you would love people and you'd be careful how you're using your personal freedom that you're not compromising your witness through arrogance or through shameful behavior that you may think is not wrong, but you haven't considered with love, that love builds up, how your witness can affect others. 
So rather than do something that, and again, the, the, the one that most people throw out here is drinking. And there again, there are, as you can imagine, and I don't know where you guys stand listening, but there are people who say Christians can participate in drinking, but not getting drunk. And sadly, I've been around Christians who, as I've gotten to know them, and, and just in conversation, they'll talk about being at a birthday party, a celebration, a Christmas party, and getting buzzed. And in some cases, I've even heard some Christian leaders who have gotten drunk. That's a sin. Point, point blank, that's a sin. I believe in that context, their arrogance has caused them to not only abuse their personal freedom, but also they've blown the witness. Now, a lot of them can say, oh, that's contained within people that know me. They all agree with this kind of stuff. It's no big deal. It's not out there in the public with my fan base. Doesn't matter. See, that's arrogance. They're excusing when the Bible is very clear to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul explores that in greater detail in chapter 13. But we ha- what we have to understand when it comes to this love is that we're known by God. So it's not, a, it's not enough for us just to believe that God exists. And there's a lot of people who believe that God exists. Now, of course, what is their definition of, definition of who God is? What is their knowledge about who God is? And is it according to the revealed truth of God's word, how he has revealed himself to us? Do they have knowledge of that? Well, that's one thing. But hopefully in that knowledge, you draw closer to the Lord. So your knowledge of him needs to lead you to accept his perfect love. Because foundational to who God is, is pure actuality. He's unchangeable. He's immutable. He's eternal. And he's also love. So your knowledge of him needs to lead you to accept his perfect love as you get to know him. And you believe that you are to reciprocate that love in return. So as you receive his love, you are to extend that love. John put it this way in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So then he says here in verse four, this is where he starts directing the attention specifically to eating a food that's offered to idols. And this is when he says, an idol has no real existence and there's no God but one. And that's important to understand in verse four to when we look in verse five and six. So so from a, a biblical perspective, what Paul is doing here is he's drawing the Corinthians' attention to the Old Testament principles regarding idolatry and also stumbling block. So yes, the Jewish scriptures refer to idolatry and it's a sin. And we see that in the Ten Commandments in the very beginning when the first one is that you're not to have any gods before, you know, other than me. There's nobody that goes before God. And we're not to you are not to serve other masters. And another commandment is we're not to use the Lord's name in vain, etc. Then we see as a course of time, as God is our standard, and He's the God that we worship, that we are to love Him as He as He first loved us, and we're to walk in that love, and we are not to cause people to stumble, but we're to point them to the love of God. Now we know that the Israelites repeatedly were warned against worshiping false gods. They were repeatedly warned not to participate in idolatrous practices. And again, we see this in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 6. 
So similarly, what Paul does is he's urging the Corinthians, the believers here in Corinth, not to engage in activities that may lead others into idolatry and or compromise their faith. So they may not get rid of God and substitute him for an idol, but through poor choices because of arrogance, we could think of ourselves more than we ought to. And in that thinking is wrong behavior that can cause other people to compromise their faith. Now, Paul points out that idols are false deities. They're a product of man's imagination, plain and simple. What's an idol is a product of a man's imagination. And the prophet Isaiah spoke the words of God against idol worship. He mocked it. If you go look at Isaiah 46, 5 through 7, and I clearly believe that Paul is inspired by the writings of Isaiah when he's referring to an idol has no real existence. He's probably referring back to this precise passage where Isaiah says in chapter 46, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver and the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down in worship they lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, does not answer or save him from his trouble. Isn't that amazing? And then this next phrase, there is no God but one. Again, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 43, 10 through 11, emphasizing there is only one and true living God. God speaks through Isaiah the prophet by saying, Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So here's the thing. We are not in the, in the business, we as Christians should not be in the business, of authenticating something other than God, or even recognizing something in our life above God, whatever that may be. And what was happening in this setting is, again, because people's arrogance, they're justifying certain actions. Yeah, you know, I may not be worshiping these other deities, but I worship God. But yeah, but do you fear him? Do you truly love him? Are you open and receptive for him loving you to where you're so enraptured by his love that you are not going to compromise in how you behave or how you act in the world. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, notice verse 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, for whom all things and for whom we exist, and there's one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul references how the pagans worship their many idols. Remember I said they are a polytheistic culture. They have many idols that represent the many deities and they would perform all kinds of different rituals. Among most of the highly recognized or reverenced gods, lowercase g, in Corinth was Poseidon, known as the god of the sea, Aphrodite or Venus, the goddess of sexuality. And also in Corinth, in that culture at that time, even the emperor was seen as a god. So Paul's saying, supposedly, 
they are these so-called gods. But of course, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he's one in essence, and he's the only true and living God, according to Isaiah 43, 10 through 11. There is no other God besides the God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, here's what's interesting, because for him to go deeper, and this is now him taking the Jewish scriptures, the truth of God's word, and applying through the revelation of the Holy Spirit in Christ to show the completion. And he uses these prepositions, okay? So these prepositions from whom all things exist and through whom. And Paul writes these things out to instruct the role that the Trinity played in the creation of the world. So the, the phrase, this preposition, from whom is ek, out of all things. Uh, the second preposition is for who, is is in Greek. It's into we exist. And through whom is dea, which means by means of are all things and through whom we exist. So out of and into and by means of is the power of Christ. So God the Father is the source of all creation and Jesus is the one who dynamically brings about all things into existence. And we see this in scripture. Now again, by the way, that is not modalistic. I'm not saying that each person is not an actual person. They're just manifestations or modes of God through Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I believe in the three in one. I believe that there's one God in essence and substance in nature and there's three who's or three persons. They have their unique identities, but they are identical in essence. But what we're saying is when we think of the son as begotten by the father, he's not created by the father. He's not separate from the father in terms of essence. But from the foundation of the world, before things were even created, I should go back before that, when things were timeless, there was no time existed, no space, matter, anything. You had Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And at the beginning of creation, when God spoke the world into existence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit had a role that they played. So in John 1, 3, when John said all things were made through him, that's Jesus. That's what Paul's pointing back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And it says, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Paul later says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, for by him all things were created, and in him and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So notice it says, all things were created through him, we just saw that Dea, by means of Christ, in for him, to glorify him, to point back to him. Hebrews 1, 2, but in these days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So specifically there, in the last days, Christ, the son, was appointed heir of all things and through whom, that's in Colossians 1.16, that's in John 1.3, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, and now here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, through whom, again, the preposition, dea, means of, also he created the world. 
So Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the Creator. And things have been created to glorify, to honor Him. He's above all things, whether it's visible or invisible, whether it's on it's in heaven or on earth. The universality of the universe, the totality of everything that exists, and beyond the mat, the materialistic, so even the spiritual realm, Christ rules and He reigns. Why is this important? Because I really do believe, my friends, and I pray that you capture this and it really speaks to your heart. When you honor God, when you recognize that He's the only true and living God, and you know that He has eternal, exhaustive, perfect knowledge, you are nothing. I am nothing. When we honor Him, when we recognize who He is, we're not going to be arrogant. And when you're not arrogant, you're going to see things more clearly. You're going to be more humble. You're going to recognize the love God has for you, the love you have for Him, and how you take that personal freedom in Christ, not to sin, not to excuse away improper behavior. And clearly, you will be so sensitive to not cause other people to stumble. But this is the foundational thing first. So when you have been freed from sin and death, and if there's a particular environment or social group or drug or alcohol, whatever, that drew you to do more sin, the works of the flesh, and you have been set free and you fear God and you have reverence for him, you're not going to be around that. And guess what? You're not going to stumble as a result of it and you're not going to cause other people to stumble. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in the next podcast. So I pray that you guys will stay tuned. So thank you guys for listening. Know that we're praying for you. We love you guys. We're thankful that you're listening. Until next time, keep standing strong on the Word of God. 